Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Amen. So what we want to just um, understand, especially on a baptism Sunday, and I, again, I know we've got friends and family maybe watching or here in person, and there's not always a clear understanding of what it is that people have gotten into. And... Um, Sometimes there's this like idea that people have joined a church or they've joined some sort of a stream of faith or whatever. And essentially baptism is beyond all of the basic things. It's not subscribing to a philosophy. It's not giving assent to some kind of a spirituality. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this baptism is just a public expression of, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's very similar to a wedding where, you know, you love one another, you're committing your lives to one another, but then you have a wedding and you have a celebration for a public expression of what's going on on the inside. You are committing to one another and you invite witnesses to come and see it. And so in the same way, we celebrate together and some people might be like, why are you making such a big deal about it? Because this is a public declaration of this inward love relationship that people have engaged in, which is a huge thing. And the same, again, as with a wedding, when we're saying, I'm committing to you for the rest of my life, I'm committing to you to the exclusion of all others. And most good wedding vows will have that in there. It's, I'm committing to you, and everybody else is now off the table, right? Any wedding or any vows that don't have that, and we're not necessarily sure we're having an open marriage, an open relationship, we're having, you know, room for, that's not marriage. That's just some sort of celebration of something, but that's not marriage. Marriage is the, I'm committing my life to one at the exclusion of all others. When we commit ourselves to Jesus, we are not saying he's part of my spiritual experience. We are saying he is my spiritual reality. He is the love of my life to the exclusion of all others. And so we begin on this journey that changes everything about how we do life. It's not like uh, one of the, the people said today, it's not just a Sunday once a week prayer. It now changes how I think, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, the priorities of my life. It changes how I engage other people. It changes what I think is of value, what is not. It changes everything. And if you, uh, how many of you are watching the Chosen series? Oh my goodness, yes. And if you haven't yet, you should. Season three just finished. The finale is a barn burner. If you haven't seen it yet, so good. Um, but you see in there just such a beautiful representation of people who say, I was once this way and now I'm this way. There should be a reasonable, obvious change in our lives that happens. And this is love. And I was thinking about, you know, when we celebrate this, it should stir up something in us. And again, just because you guys can look forward to this if you're in this church for any length of time. I will always talk about my vacation when I come back. Um, I was trained for that. that. I blame that on elementary school teachers. With write a paper on your summer vacation, you're, we are trained to process what we did over vacation, right? But um, one of the things that happens because you're in a beautiful place is weddings on the beach. And there's there, one day that we were there, there was two of them on the same day. And everybody's doing their stuff and, you know, reading books and listening to music and walking and do whatever. And as soon as the wedding starts, everybody stops and watches, like, random people in their bathing suits. It's weird, actually. Um, but it happens. And so all the stuff is just still. And there's, like, security guards at the end of the beach telling people, you're going to need to go around because there's a wedding. Oh, a wedding. They don't go around. They stop and watch, you know, because now we're all, we're all invited to this wedding. And... Um, and so these random people get married in front of random people in their bathing suits. And then we can't actually hear what's going on, but you assume because there's a kiss. And then everybody's like cheering. Oh! And then you, if you look, you just notice all the couples on the beach go, oh. And they like lean into their person. And it's like, you know, 20 minutes ago, you did not know that you were going to have a romantic experience, but you just got invited to a random wedding in your random bathing suit, and you're having a random celebration, and now we all are feeling the love. And what it does is you watch these people who you don't know make their public declaration of love, 
and it stirs up something on the inside of you to be like, I love you too. You know, it just, it's a weird thing that happens that you are, you are automatically stirred to remember the thing that's going on in your heart. Same thing should happen when we have baptisms. We see somebody make their public declaration and we should be like, yeah, I love him too. Like, yeah, I'm living for him too. Yeah, I'm grateful too. Yeah, he's changed my life too. There should be something. You might have come in this morning, you're like, I had no idea there was baptism and I don't know these people. Well, if people in bathing suits on a beach can celebrate and cheer for people who are getting married that they don't even know, we can celebrate and cheer for the people who are making their decision, right? And not only the weird thing on the other side of it is they've become family. So now you've got brothers and sisters that you do care about what happens in their life and their public declaration matters to you. It's the same thing. I I remember the first time I actually paid attention at a wedding and the preacher said, you know, we just want to charge the witnesses here today that because you are here, you're giving your agreement to this wedding and, uh, you know, you're responsible to encourage this couple, to bless them, to pray for them. And I remember thinking, that was not on the RSVP. I did not remember that now I'm, like, I don't remember reading that I was now responsible. I just came for the free food and whatever. (laughs) I'm kidding. But honestly, it's this thing that now these seven people, maybe you didn't know them, maybe you didn't know their names before, but you can pray for them this week and next week, and next month, and we know that there's people who are on this path that we're on, and it's full of life. It's changing them, and one of the things that I think has been a bit of a, now let me just poke a cow here. I won't officially tip it over, but I'll poke it. Um, I do feel that perhaps in church history, we have done a bit of disservice to the decision of becoming a Christian, becoming a believer in Christ. When we kind of ram people through a salvation prayer and say, now you've prayed it, now you're done, now you're going to heaven. And maybe they know nothing about God, nothing about Jesus, haven't made a real conscious choice. They've just prayed the prayer and repeated after you because you told them to. And what happens is down the road, they're like, I prayed the prayer, nothing happened, nothing changed. I I don't even believe in God because I tried it, nothing happened, It it was just weird. The word actually tells us, if we specifically look, Romans 10, 9 and 10, one of many, many verses. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And the truth of this is, with the heart one believes. So it's not that you have to know everything about the Bible, but there is, there has to be a heart decision that by faith I am deciding to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he actually did die, that he actually, and I don't know how this happened, but I, I am choosing to believe that as a sinner, Jesus paid for me to experience freedom and I am choosing to step into this. With the heart, one believes. And so one of the things that's risky is that there actually is no such thing as a salvation prayer in the Bible. What we've done is we, we uh, it's, a, it's a great tool that we have developed as people of faith to help people express the decision that they've already made. Their heart has made a decision, and now with their mouth, we're going to help them confess. We're going to put a tool in their their lips so that they can express what's going on on the inside. Does that make sense? But just repeating the words does not necessarily mean I've made a heart decision. And so it's one of the things that I love about baptism is that it takes a decision to get your butt in the tank. Like to actually come in, to go through the class, to to do a video, to walk through, yes, I am confident that this is a decision I am making. It's one of the things that I, it's not, it's not a necessary, um, you know, absolute, but it's one of the things that helps us actually recognize, have I made a heart decision? And when I have made a heart decision, I am less likely to get picked off. When I've made a heart decision that I'm not the one that is you know, pokeable. The wind doesn't move me. The rain doesn't move me. I am, I am decided that I am built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And one of the quotes that I love is by Wayne Grudem, and he's um, one of the guys who's written a lot about systematic theology. 
And he says, one who has a true saving faith has moved from investigating Jesus's claims to believing these claims are true to personally trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. You see that progression? I've investigated, I believe it, and I personally am trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God. If I have true saving faith, I no longer simply believe facts about Jesus. Instead, I personally trust Jesus to save me. Isn't that beautiful? Just that look at it. Do I personally trust Jesus to save me? And if I personally trust him, that means it changes everything about how I do life. It changes the decisions I make. It changes how I approach problems. It changes how I approach celebration. The whole bit, I am, I am trusting Jesus with my life. That's a big deal. That's, that's a thing that you see, you know, when, when kids are jumping off a pool into dad's arms or whatever, and do you trust me? I'll catch you. I'll trust, you know, I'll catch you. Do you trust that I'll catch you? When kids do, sorry, do that, they are jumping off into a place where they believe the character of the one who's catching them. What we're saying here is that these people who decided today and what most of us in this room, probably most online have decided is that Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is the one worthy of me committing my life to. He's the one who is worth the whole uh, celebration of, of exchange of life. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. I have a free will, and like we already heard, and I choose to give it to him. I will to be his. I cross over into that place. So I personally trust Jesus. What this means is that life now begins a new beginning. It's, it's a new change. There's, there's things that should happen. One of the things that I'm always super concerned about, if I have a, a couple come into my office and they're needing marriage counselor or whatever, and they have, you know, totally separate lives, totally separate bank accounts, totally separate schedules, but they're married. In what way? Like, it, what what? what what part of marriage did you decide to commit to? Not that we can't have separate bank accounts, but I'm just saying we, we, we share, we become one, and that oneness travels into every part of life. So when it comes to Jesus, the same thing happens. It travels into every part of life, or it should. And so we're going to walk through three quick things today of what we've made this decision for Jesus. We've said we're his. We said I personally decide to trust you. Now what's supposed to happen with that? And this is going to be a good reminder for all of us. Some of us, this might be new information. Some of us, it might help your decision because you, you've been thinking about making a decision for Jesus. And some of us need a wake-up call. So let's walk through this today. Uh, number one, we want to talk about deliberate relationship. Deliberate relationship. And so this phrase that we just heard, I personally trust Jesus. It's what we read in Romans 10. I believe in my heart. I believe in my heart. I personally trust Jesus. It means that now I have engaged a relationship and I have to be deliberate about this relationship. It actually doesn't always come completely naturally because we may have been walking down a completely different path for a long time. It's like if you're the person who has been a serial dater and you have dated 37 people a year for the last 10 years, and now you're committing to marriage, it might take a little bit for you to get focused on living for one, right? It's going to take a change of a lot of habits and a lot of behaviors and a lot of ways that maybe you previously would have done life. The same thing with Jesus. When I say I'm trusting Jesus personally, it's going to mean that I'm going to give up trusting all the other stuff. It means that he is my first call, and that's fine, except we maybe have a lot of safety nets built in. Over the years, a lot of us trust a lot of things. I remember um, the first time I was in Haiti, and we were, we were traveling down some of the back roads, and it was like, you know, driving past some of these houses, had, they had so much symbolism, and I'm like, what, what is going on here? And they're like, that's the witch doctor's house. Okay, why is there a cross in front of it? Because they add everything. It's like, I believe this, and I'm going to try this, and I'm going to add some of this, and maybe some of this, and we're going to pray to all these things, and hopefully one of them will answer. Right? Jesus is not cool with that. Jesus is like, I want to be your one. 
I, I'm, I'm the one. So I'm going to have to choose this relationship, be deliberate about the relationship. And so this, this phrase, I personally trust Jesus, the word trust is so interesting because it's used a lot in the Old Testament. David, King David uses it a lot in the Psalms, but you won't find it in the New Testament. So one of the interesting things about that is simply language, it's translation, where you read faith or where you read um, believe, those are usually the words that come back to the same basic root as trust. So the issue is that we've crossed over from Hebrew into Greek. And so the word that is translated belief or faith or trust, New Testament would be the word pisteo, which means to be true, to think to be true, to be persuaded in, and here's the big one, to place confidence in. So when I believe God, when I'm, when I'm reading the word and it says, have faith in God or believe in God, it's saying, put your trust in him. Actually commit yourself to him. Put your confidence in him. And so this, this kind of trust, it's not a, it's not a you know, belief system so much as it's a relational decision. I am deciding to put my trust in you. I am deciding to put my confidence in you. I'm deciding to put my life in your hands. That's relational. And that's the stuff that has to be cultivated. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 talks about trust. And it's one of these core ones that we come back to all the time. But it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Man, that phrase right there, if you could just package that, connect it to Christianity... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Well, explain to me this. Explain to me why you believe that. Explain to me how that's supposed to happen. Explain to me why you do that. Explain to me why, why the church suggests that. It's not about explaining. It's about trusting or committing or placing my full confidence in the one who says it. And I don't always have to figure it all out. I don't always have to have all the, the game rules for it. I don't always have to understand the how of it or the why of it. I just have to trust the one who said it. Yeah. That's a different kind of relationship. And that's what we're talking about with salvation is, I, do I trust the one? If I say that Jesus is who he says he is and I receive him, then as he gives me instructions along the way, I don't have to get it. I trust him. And I trust that he'll reveal it to me as necessary. And there are things in the word, you know, the more you study, the more you can understand. Sometimes you get an instruction without the revelation of, of the, the whys of it. If you say yes to God, you walk in obedience, the other stuff starts to unfold and you'll be like months or years down the road and you're like, oh, that's why he told me to do that. that okay, that's very good. And for example, this particular one, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Let's go on. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. In all your ways, actually, that means like literally all the parts of your life, note him in it. Talk to him about it. Include him in it. Engage him in it, and he shall direct your paths. He will actually counsel. You'll feel that sense of presence. You'll feel that nudge of this is the way, walk in it. You'll, you'll know his direction, his counsel. And, but it's my life. I can do what I want. I mean, I've said yes to Jesus. I know where I'm going when I die, but it's still my life. Yeah. Or you could acknowledge him in all your ways. He will direct your paths. And then let's look at the next verse. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So you make that conscious decision. And then final verse here. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Yeah. What about a promise like that? Like, yeah, you could do your own thing. You can choose to do it your own way. Totally up to you. But... If you will acknowledge God, if you will invite him into the circumstances of your life, if you'll trust him with it and lean out on your own understanding, it's actually going to add to your quality of life physically. You are going to, you are literally going to experience a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. Or we can do what we want and wonder why we just feel like crap all the time. You know, Possibly there might be some things that we need to allow the Lord to change or to sculpt or to mold. That's working on the relationship. 
Mark 10 talks about the story of the rich young ruler. He's actually in three different parts because it's a really strong um, point of reference here. But just to look at it from verse 17, Mark 10 said, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but, that, but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, uh, honor your father and mother. And what he's essentially saying right there is, you know what the law says about righteousness. You're acknowledging me as good, which means you think that there's something godly about me. There are two different teams here, and you're going to have to pick one. Jesus is pointing it out. He's saying, you know, you know the law. And the guy answers back, and he answers and says to him, verse 20, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I want you to notice, up until now, the rich young ruler comes and says, what do I have to do? Jesus answers with an emotion. What do I have to do? Jesus says, he loves him. He looks at him and he loves him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great many possessions. This passage is not at all about money. It is, the, it is the decision between a works-based God and a relationship-based God. It is you can do all this stuff. And Jesus says, here's the thing. What you're lacking is give up the stuff, take up your cross, and follow me. He was in inviting him into a relationship without a back door. A relationship without a safety net. Like give up your stuff and follow me. Give up your safety net. Give up your plan. Give up your other way of doing things. This guy was actually wanting to follow God, but he also wanted to be in control of the situation. Jesus said, sell it all, follow me. And he didn't say it because it was a money issue. He said it because he loved him. Jesus was inviting him into this inner circle, and the young guy walks away upset because he has so much stuff. Isn't that weird? Like, you could know personally, walk with Jesus, but if you got so much stuff that it has your attention and your affection and your control, that you walk away from Jesus, did he really want God or did he want just an after-death plan? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? It's meant to be more than that. It is a relationship. So it's not what shall I do or what must I do. It's the relationship that we're invited into. Deliberately entering in relationship. I want to just highlight that because for each one of us, it is so important as time goes on and we are challenged as, as uh, different faiths and different non-faiths and the absence of God and whatever rises to the surface. We have to be able to give an answer for why are you a Christian? Why do you believe that stuff? It can't be mental agreement. It has to be, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm in a relationship with God and you can't talk me out of it. It is who I know. I have experienced him. I've experienced newness of life. I've experienced hope. I've experienced freedom. I love what Catherine said. I'm no longer dealing with anxiety. I'm no longer in depression. I'm no longer dealing with drugs. That's kind of freedom in Jesus, right? That's not, you know, Catherine, if you want to know Jesus, you should make sure that you stop this, stop that, stop this, and Jesus will accept you. No, accept Jesus, and he will help you deal with this, 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 this. It's the reverse process. It starts with the relationship. And once we have the deliberate relationship, we follow with deliberate affection, And this one, this heart issue, this is a a thing that I believe is for all of us today and something that the Lord's just been really um, putting on my heart as we move forward, even as a church, that we need to make sure that we are doing this deliberate affection. All relationships take effort. Did you know that? 
I mean, realistically, there is a drift to all relationships. There is a drift away from and into selfishness if we are not deliberate and purposeful about who we're with and what we're doing and what's important to us. There's... um. You know, I, I used to feel a little bit guilty if we would go away for a bit and I was like, huh, I mean, we've got responsibilities and there's people that might need us and whatever. And I've had an epiphany over the years that my first most important relationship with, is with Jesus. My second most important relationship is with my husband. And so everybody else is secondary to that. It's, it is important that I take time with my husband and it's just about us. And that includes our kids, our grandkids, our extended family, the whole bit. Everybody else is, is next level compared to number one my relationship with Jesus number two my relationship with the one who shares the two shall be one with me and so I have to make that a priority it's a thing that we make a, an effort to pursue it's a, it's a thing that we put um, actual time into if we go on a date night you will not see our phones on us we don't answer anything we don't we don't engage anybody else we're just there together and so sometimes people will even say to us oh we saw you there whatever well I didn't notice you because I was looking at him that's the whole point of a date night you know like <laughs> right it takes the effort it takes deciding to be with one another and deciding what you're going to talk about and how you're going to engage and and this deliberate affection is addressed in Revelation chapter 2 and I personally find this to be one of the most terrifying passages in the Bible I having grown up in the church um, this one I believe is one of the most um, obvious examples of drift and I think it can happen all the time so Revelation chapter 2 and we're gonna start at verse 2 and this is this is Jesus speaking over the church at Ephesus um, and he says I know your works your labor your patience that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and you have found them liars and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Let's just leave that there for a minute. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like the best church ever? I mean, they are consistent. They are passionately serving the works of God. They have not given up. They're discerning. They can spot what's not of God. They're just, they're just committed to the work of the ministry. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Blah. Any of us who have been in the church world for any length of time will understand the draw towards doing. You know it's important. You know that, that kids' ministry is important. You know that worship ministry is important. You know that Bible studies are important. You know that discipleship's important. You know that hospitality is important. You know that ushering's important. You know that the welcome team is important. You know that the study of the word is important. Getting through your daily devotions is important. Do you know it is possible to do all the stuff and lose the heart for it? Yeah. It is literally why the number one age group to go through divorce is marriages that have been between 20 and 25 years. Because we have started paying for a mortgage, taking kids all over the place, dealing with who's, who's handling the budget this month, who's dropping the kids off to here, who's picking them up from there. Okay, we've got hockey, we've got volleyball over here, we've got baseball over here, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. We're going to try and have a date night because we need to, but when we get together for date night, we're going to plan our schedule for the upcoming month because honestly, well, like, I mean, we knew it was going to be busy with kids, but we didn't know it was going to be this busy, and they want us to donate how much? I can't, I don't have time to do baking. Can we hire somebody to do the baking? Because if we're supposed to donate to the bake sale, somebody's going to do that, but it's not going to be me. You know what? It doesn't matter I'm the woman, you're the guy, but you can cook too. You can put the muffins in the, in the oven and we can do, do the stuff for the bake sale. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody comes along and goes, hi. You're so handsome. You're so beautiful. You're so whatever. And we wonder, how did that drift happen? Every conversation has been about carpooling, bake sales, budgets, you know, whatever. And that's just life. 
That's the stuff that has to be done. Somebody has to mow the lawn. Somebody has to vacuum the carpet. Stuff has to get done. But also, the relationship has to be invested in. There have to be times when we're not about what we do, but who we are and how we love. Are you with me? That might be free marriage counseling for some in the room today. You cannot, you cannot buffer over a lousy year of poor relationship and bad conversation with a rose on Tuesday. It's not going to cut it. You, what, what is necessary is do the things that you did at the beginning. It's going back to the heart stuff. It's investing. It is absolutely deliberate affection. If we were uh, talking to somebody, you know, it, needing marriage counseling, maybe a couple that's just like, I don't even like her anymore. I don't like him anymore. The first question I would probably say is, what, what drew you together in the first place? It's probably exactly what I would say first. I would say, what, what did you love about him in the first place? What did you love about her in the first place? What did you guys used to do for fun? Like, how did you spend your time? What were the things that you were interested in? And I get that we change over time and we grow and we develop and we have new interests and we have new things, but the core of who we are, that core person that you fell in love with, sometimes we need to be reminded of that very beginning thing, that, that, that thing that was worth all the, all the focus, all the time, all the energy. That person is still there underneath all the stuff of life. It is the same thing with Jesus. Nobody intends to walk away from him. Nobody goes, you know what, honestly, like I'm totally, I totally, like I love watching the passion every year and I just love, I mean, the cost that Jesus paid on the cross, it's just, I mean, but the rest of the time I don't care. Nobody says that, but sometimes our actions say otherwise. And we might say, you know what, I'm at the church four days a week, like I am work, I do the work of the ministry. Jesus in this prophetic word in Revelation was like, I'm so glad you do the work of the ministry, but can we do the first stuff again? Can we do the thing where we talk about the love relationship? Can we talk about heart stuff? And, and it's this, this slide that we move into. And so what I want to just finish up with then is the deliberate partnership. If the deliberate affection needs to happen, then we need to move into a deliberate partnership. And, and this concept is deciding that I'm with God for all things. I'm with him. I'm not working for him. I'm working with him. When, when we read about um, the beginning of the book of Acts and Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And it says that the, the disciples went out that, that God working with them, the Holy Spirit working with them, at the end of the day, this is God's church. I'm working with him. Our staff is working with him. And when we're long gone, it's still going to be his church. When we're, when we're out of here, it's still his church. We, his people, we're his church. So we're in this relationship that needs this deliberate affection. I have to decide, okay, I want to I wanna love you. I want to know you. And I am going to do things for you. There's going to be stuff that comes out of that because a relationship where we don't serve one another isn't a very good relationship. But it also means that I'm going to have to deliberately partner with him in everything that I do. Now, this is one that has been... Um, a thing that has been working through my heart the last little while because I can feel the momentum increasing. I can, I can feel the movement of what God is doing. I can feel the expansion happening. And because I'm an organizer, um, I automatically want to sit and solve all upcoming potential problems. I want to find the right people to delegate into positions. I want to figure out how we're going to map it out on the calendar. I want to know well, how much hours it's going to take to do different things. I, I'm, you know, I'm not like a wing it person because I know we can only wing it so far. There has to be some organization. There has to be some structure. The problem is sometimes that trips me up because it's easy to drift into doing the ministry instead of being in the relationship. And there's this passage that we're all very familiar with, particularly if you've taken any uh, leadership training, and it's called the Exodus 18 principle. And some of you will probably recognize it right away. The Exodus 18 principle is after 
Moses had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and they were, you know, out into the middle of the desert and he connects up, they're beginning to find a pattern of life and he connects up with his father-in-law and he's explaining how things are going. And so you all know where this is going, I think. Um, But essentially they've been out there long enough that there has to be some structuring. There's some stuff that has to fall into place because we're not moving, you know, forward. So as we are here and we're learning how to be free people, we have to have ways of doing things. And so if we start in verse uh, 13, we're going to go down to 23 so you can get the whole picture. And the father-in-law is coming and Moses is explaining things to him. And it says in verse 13, and so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing you're doing for the people? And why do you alone sit from morning until evening with all the people stand before you before, from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing you do is not good. Wait a minute. You critiquing my ministry right now? I mean, I... I am serving from morning until night and the people are coming in front of me and I am telling them what God says and I am doing my best to serve God. He picked me as the deliverer of Israel. He called me, he was in the burning bush and he called me and he said he'd be with me and I was supposed to lead these people out so I am doing my job. And now you're telling me this is not good? A family conflict going on right here. So he says, this is, this is not good, this thing that you're doing. Verse 18, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice and I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them in the ways in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people, able men, this is the Exodus 18 principle. You shall select from all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten, and let them judge the people at all times. And then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier uh, for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Great strategy. Books have been written about this. Absolutely. It's the core thing where really we're never meant to be a one-man show. We're never meant, nobody's meant to carry all this stuff. And so um, this is the go-to. Like the idea of his father-in-law saying like, you're going to burn out. Essentially, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to burn out. And so you need to find people who are able to carry the weight with you. And you're looking for godly leaders, and some of them are going to be beginners, so you give them 10. Some of them are going to be a little stronger. You give them 50. Some of them can handle 100. Some can handle 1,000. But let's, like, divide up the workload, and you're all going to be able to make it the distance. That is what we focus on in this passage. But I want to just present to you that there is a core in here, verse 19 and 20. And in the middle, before we jump from, this is a terrible idea, to you should delegate, is this little bit in the middle. And he says, now listen to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. It sounds so similar to how Moses was describing he was doing it. Except what happened was the people would come to him because they were inquiring of God. And because he was the man of God, he would give them advice. And basically he would say, well, you know what? The God principle for this is that you should do this. And so I, I feel like the wisdom of God is that you do this. The father-in-law is like, you know, essentially you're putting yourself in the place of God and you're wearing yourself out. They can bring the stuff to you and you stand before God and you have a relationship with him and you let him deal with the hard stuff. And when you do talk to the people, you tell them how they should engage with God. 
in, a, in essence, take yourself out of the middle thing. You, you're going to instruct them on how they can connect with God. You're going to instruct them on the wisdom of God. But first, before you do anything, you're going to come before God, and you're going to bring the cases to him. You're going to bring the hard stuff to God. I love that, that phrase, uh, bring the difficulties to God. It's essentially, instead of just coming to the Lord and saying, okay, here's what's going on with my kids, here's what's going on with my marriage, here's what's going on with my business, here's what's going on with our finances, we need some answers, what do you think we should do, Lord? It's starting with, God, I'm coming before you. Because we're in a relationship. We're in partnership. I know that you wouldn't have called me to live this life if you were trying to kill me. So... I just want to spend some time with you and then maybe we could talk business because we're in it together. So what we see come out the other side of this is yes, a delegation principle, but we also begin to see Moses regularly step outside of the camp, get into his tent and just talk to God. And he would stay there until the presence of God landed on him to the point that his face was carrying the glory. And it was notable that he had spent time with God. Do you know when you spend time with God just for the sake of spending time with God, wisdom just begins to come out of you? When you seek God just for wisdom and there's no relationship, it becomes dry and rule-based and it's exhausting. And so when we come to God, it's the same thing as if I'm in a marriage and we're going to sit down together and I can either start with, you know, who's picking up the kids today? Oh, well, what about tomorrow? Who's going to do that tomorrow? I don't know how we're going to handle this. And what about, have you seen what the, the utility bills were this month? Like, how are we going to handle that? That's stuff we do need to talk about probably. But what if we started with, how was your day? Man, I missed you today. You look like you had a rough one. Is, is it okay? Like, were you okay today? Like, Tell me what's going on with you. And like, let's reconnect. And then once we get past that, so what are we going to do about the utility bills? <laughs> We're going to have to talk about that. Who's picking up the kids tomorrow? But it comes from a different place. I have this, this thing. I'm actually kind of resistant to it personally, where if people like pop in on me and ask questions, I will answer with good morning. I'm not in your world right now. I'm not in your headspace. So let's, let's say good morning, connect, and then you have a question for me, I'd be happy to answer it. Absolutely. God's the same. God wants to be, he, he says to these people in, in the church at Ephesus, he's like, you're doing all the right stuff, but can we hang out? Can we talk? Like we never, any, any of the new believers who come to Christ for the first time, we never sit down with them and say, okay, here's all the stuff you need to do now. We, we, you know, really, you need to understand that there's about 17 things in your life that you need to change immediately. Like this is a problem. I mean, if we do that, that's terrible discipleship. What we will say is read the book of John. Yeah. Why? Because John is a love letter. We see Jesus' character, we see his heart, we see his nature, and we'll say, you know what, it would be great if you could just, like, hear some worship music, like, listen to it, let it sing over you, sing along. Why? Because we're trying to help them with the relationship. We would never say to somebody who's seeking to know God, here's the stuff you should do. We would say, here's the God we want to introduce you to. But somehow the drift can happen where maybe we've been saved five years, 10 years, 20 years, and we have a hard time expressing the God who we love, but we can really quickly rattle off what we do for him. I believe even today, God's inviting us into that place where it's literally going back to the place that we started with. Some of us have been having a really hard time hearing God. It's like, oh man, I need a solution to this problem. And I ask and I ask and I ask and I ask and he's not answering me. Well, when was the last time you just came into his presence to just be with him? Like maybe you can't hear his voice because you're so unfamiliar with it anymore. It's been, it's been a long time since you just sat and had a conversation with him and you remembered what it looks like to just look in his face. One of the things that I'm super excited about is our upcoming women's conference. We're going to keep it extremely affordable. Um, but what we're believing for is a radical encounter with the Spirit of God that weekend. And we would love to see this place absolutely packed. We got room for 600 ladies. Like, let's see what happens. But I don't think that anybody needs more stuff from the church. You need to meet with God. 
right? We need to meet with God. And that's always been my belief. Um, I'm grateful that I began, you know, ministry um, as a worship pastor, because that became one of my core realities was like, I don't know all the answers to people's stuff, but I know that if I can get them into the presence of God, he does. So I can't, I don't feel qualified to counsel. I don't feel qualified to answer all the questions. I don't feel qualified to tell you all the stuff you should or shouldn't be doing. But I will do my best to lead you into his presence. Because I know that one word from God in that sweet spot with him will utterly change your life. Because I know that, isn't it interesting that even I have to fight the drift into the dew? Because church work is busy, right? Christianity can be busy, but do you know you can get through your whole Bible app at the end of a year and never actually feel like you heard a word from God? You read the word of God maybe every single day, but maybe you never felt like you heard a word from God. I would highly recommend if that's you and you're struggling with it, you know, I, I, from time to time, do what I call treasure hunting scripture reading, I go through the passages, but I read until something comes alive to me and I stop right there. And that verse, I write it out, I put it in my phone, I put it on sticky notes, and for that day, I think about, like, God, why did you highlight that to me? What does that mean? Because that feels like something you're saying to me. And maybe I don't understand it right away, but as I think about it throughout the day and I meditate on it, it, like, solutions will come, wisdom comes, even a sense of his heart for me will come. But sometimes I can be so busy, we can all be so busy doing the stuff of Christianity that we miss the Christ. We miss the love that's underneath it all. And so as we, as we um, celebrate today with those who are baptized, I want to give us all just a little bit of time to respond. So if I could have the worship team come. And maybe you're in like super great condition and you're like, you know, if I was to say, what's your, how's your relationship with God? How do you feel it's going? And you're like, I'm 10 out of 10. Awesome. May I encourage you to pray for the many who are not? Because I would guess a lot of people would say somewhere between a four and a seven. You know, I know God, I trust God, I love God. I serve, I'm, I do this stuff. But when was the last time you felt loved by God? When was the last time you just said, thank you, you know? Thank you that I'm not strung out on drugs on the street. Thank you that my life is not a complete shambles right now. Thank you that I'm not out of my mind. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for meeting my needs. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being there even when I have failed you. You have been faithful. Thank you, Lord, for seeing me and knowing me. Thank you for the little counsels and the little moments of wisdom. Thank you for the little, the little things along the way that I forget to even pause and say thank you for, but they mean so much. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the people that you've allowed me to do life with. Thank you, God, that when I, I get a medical report that I don't really know what to do with, you're always there. You are my healer. When I get the, the word about finances and job, I, underneath it all, I'm not without hope because I know you're Jehovah Jireh and you're my provider. I, I thank you that even when I have struggles with who I am, I know that Psalm 139 says you knit me together in my mother's womb, that you love me, that you know me. Thank you for caring for me when I had pain that I couldn't even express to anybody else and I felt so alone but when I really paused I knew I wasn't I knew you were there I thank you for taking what was the trajectory of my life that was going so badly and just throwing me a 90 degree and I, I, I went another way Thank you for reminding me of forgiveness and grace. Thank you for reminding me of your compassion. I can see in the word that I could be gone in a moment, but you sustain my life. I thank you for the very breath that I'm breathing today, 
that I get to love my kids one more day. I get to love my spouse one more day. I get to love people around me one more day. I thank you, God, for the wisdom to know what to do when that family member, that kid has gone astray. And I, as a parent, I, I want to go after them, but you're, you're counseling me with the right thing to do. I thank you for throwing me a lifeline. When temptation comes, and I know where that road leads, but yet it still seems to be screaming so loudly, I thank you that you make a way of escape for me. That there's always a way out. There's always something I can turn to. And I thank you that if everybody in my life has betrayed me, you grace me to walk in forgiveness, to not be saddled with bitterness, but to walk in love and to be loved by you because you never turn your back on me. I thank you for the example of Peter who when he betrayed you three times, you went after him and got him. And even though I've screwed up so many times, you come after me. You offer me another chance and another chance and another chance. Let's stand together this morning. I wanna invite you just to stay in that space Beyond, beyond, I believe that Jesus is real. The believe in my heart. I trust and commit myself to him. And I am purposefully offering the affection today. I'm gonna say, I love you. I'm gonna say, thank you. I'm gonna say, I value you. I'm gonna say, you mean the world to me and then some. I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm sorry for the times I've been caught up in the busyness and trusted that you'd always be there when I came back, but forgive me for not making you a priority. God, I want to come back to the first things first love, that first passion, that first fire. Help me to cultivate the core things and then do. Because of love, because of relationship, I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.